Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. First, a uh, quick uh, birthday shout out. Happy birthday, Jessica. There you go. See, I mean, you, know, you can do this every day. And, you know, it's just kind of fun, right? All right, so happy birthday. Um, there is a ceasefire agreement between the nation of Israel and I don't really know how you reach an agreement with a terrorist organization, but um, an agreement has been reached via Egypt with the terrorist organization Hamas operating in Gaza. So a ceasefire agreement has been reached. It is holding at this hour. That is praiseworthy. Um, I did find it noteworthy that Jews were attacked yesterday in New York City's Diamond District and throughout the city of Los Angeles, but neither of those stories is actually leading the headlines today. Um, I I looked on the front page of the Washington Post and the front page of the New York Times Um, Neither of them have an article about the uh, attacks um, on Jews by pro-Palestinian rioters in the Diamond District of New York City, nor in the city of L.A. And I found that kind of astonishing. So anti-Semitism is real here in the United States. Um, It is rampant. We have talked about it before. We will continue to talk about it. But just because there is a tenuous ceasefire agreement. I'm not calling it a peace agreement because there, there, there is n- no peace between the nation of Israel and uh, her neighbors who want to see her driven into the sea. Um, uh, but there is a ceasefire agreement for which we are very, very grateful. Israel announced the ceasefire with Hamas uh, after 11 days. It comes um, in, in a mediated form by Egypt and for that, we are grateful. Uh, notably, Defense Minister Benny Gantz uh, of Israel said in relationship to this, look, the reality on the ground is going to determine the continuation of the campaign um, or the continuation of a ceasefire. Quiet would be met by quiet. That is the um, ongoing principle of Israel in relationship to those who would seek to destroy her. Quiet will be met by quiet. Uh, it's important to, uh, to to remember that that's the principle under which the nation of Israel um, has operated since its birth as a modern nation uh, in in 1948. Um, so that's notable. Since the latest fighting began, Palestinian militants fired thousands of rockets into Israel. The Israel Defense Forces carried out uh, many, many airstrikes in the region of Gaza. 72,000 people in Gaza have now been displaced, according to UNICEF. Um, and the president of the United States has committed this nation to rebuilding Gaza. Um, I feel confident that will be an ongoing conversation as well. There is an indication that the Israel Defense Forces um, had actually exhausted their targets in Gaza. Um, so, you know, you would be, you know, more than willing to say, uh, all right, we are we are absolutely willing to enter into a ceasefire agreement if all of your targets of note had already been obliterated. So that's a notable part of this as well. 
Um, there is indication from uh, from Israel that attention is being directed now toward their northern border as threats from Hezbollah, also funded uh, by Iran, also supplied with weapons from Iran, as Hezbollah in Lebanon um, uh, has been saber rattling as well. Israel has also reported uh, having downed a military drone from Iran or an Iran- Iranian military drone. Suffice it to say, this is a tenuous piece at best. For those of us who have read all the way to the end of the book, this is a piece that will only hold for so long. So let us be very, very mindful of that. Um, and yeah, be sure we read all the way to the end of the book. Um, all right. So we have first up today a really delightful opportunity uh, to talk with uh, the former ambassador at large for religious freedom, Sam Brownback. He and I are going to talk about the 2020 International Religious Freedom Report, as well as the International Religious Freedom Summit being held uh, July 13 to 15 in Washington, D.C. You can check it out at IRFSummit.com. When I come back, my conversation with Sam Brownback. What a privilege to welcome Sam Brown back to the program today. Uh, he is the former ambassador at large for international religious freedom. Sam, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join you. Well, I want to talk about the Inter- uh, International Religious Freedom Summit 2021 this coming July, um, which our listeners can find and register for at IRFSummit.com. But I want to lead off with a conversation about the latest International Religious Freedom Report. So um, describe to people what it is and what's in it this year. Uh, What it is, is it's a compilation of all the countries in the world except the United States uh, and their issues or things that are happening in their country regarding religious persecution. Uh, Unfortunately, most of the world's population experiences substantial levels of religious persecution. And this documents that our embassies around the world, spend the year collecting information and data on it. Some countries are very good. A lot of the countries in Western Europe uh, do a fabulous job, uh, not without their issues, the same as with our country, not without our issues here. Uh, But then you get places like China that just literally are at war with faith, or North Korea, where it's a deadly uh, thing to be found with a Bible. Uh, So it documents all of it. Uh, this year's report, I think, was a solid, good report of what's taking place. Unfortunately, uh, we just continue to see a very troubled world in regard to respecting this basic human right. Now, Sam, for folks who are listening to us and they are um, unfamiliar with the Office of International Religious Freedom at the State Department, can you describe you know, the scope of what the Office of International Religious Freedom um, does and then Um, You know, your role, obviously, in it um, now as the former ambassador at large for religious freedom, um, this just kind of help us understand where we are nationally on this issue. Well, we deal with all the countries in the world except the United States on religious freedom issues. Um, It's a statutorily created office. It was created by Congress 20 years ago to push for religious freedom because we kept seeing all these cases coming up around the world, people being locked up for just simply peacefully practicing their faith. 
So the office works to change policy in other countries. We've had some very successful policy changes in Sudan and Uzbekistan, where they're opening up for religious freedom. We identify problem uh, cases. I've mentioned China already, Nigeria. You've got um, a really a, a lot of killing of Christians uh, taking place there, and in, unfortunately, a number of other countries. Uh, and then we try to really work with countries to press them on forward to say, you know, you need to change your policies. It'll be good for your people. It is a fundamental human right. Uh, it's recognized by the UN's 1948 Charter on Human Rights. It's in our basic constitution, and it'll help grow your economy and provide more security for your people. Uh, so the office really works to do all those things. Last year, we had a great year on getting people out of jail. We got over 2,000 people uh, out of jail that were in simply for peacefully practicing their faith. Um, and then we hold regular summits with other countries to press them forward uh, with uh, urging for religious freedom. We've now got a coalition of nearly 40 nations around the world that will press for religious freedom for everybody everywhere all the time. I think that um, folks who are listening right now might remember um, our conversation about the ministerial to advance religious freedom that um, that the State Department held. Can you can you take us back to that? And what was that about? Um, and is that something that you anticipate seeing going forward? Um, what it was about was getting the the world community to focus on how badly uh, things are for this fundamental human right. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, this is recognized in the UN Charter of Human Rights in 1948, and yet it's been deteriorating. It's been abused. It's uh, uh, People are locked up and killed for their faith. And so we held, held two ministerials. The second one was the largest human rights event ever hosted by State Department. We had over 100 countries at it pressing this fundamental right. Uh, and really what it did was it, it put the world on notice that we're going to press on this human right. We see it as a foundational human right, a basic one, that if you get this one right, your other rights tend to flourish as well, like freedom of assembly and speech. Uh, if you get this one wrong, the others tend to uh, be harmed as well. And uh, it, it was a spectacular event. Um, and then it was held held virtually last year in Poland, and then Brazil is hosting it this year, and next year it'll be hosted in the, uh, in Great Britain. So it continues, and we are seeing more momentum around this topic as people recognize the importance of it. And it's finally genocide. Uh, most of the recent genocides in the world have been of a religious minority in a particular country. And so religion is just deeply intertwined with this terrible aspect of genocide. I'm talking with Sam Brownback. He's the former ambassador at large for international religious freedom. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Inter International Religious Freedom Summit 2021. It's coming up in mid-July, and uh, we want you to know all about it and participate in it. I IRFsummit.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Continuing my conversation now with Sam Brownback, former ambassador at large for international religious freedom. Um, Sam, tell us about the upcoming summit in July in Washington, D.C., and, and how folks can participate. 
Well, fortunately, there has been a whole lot of groups around the world that have stood up to push back against religious oppression and, and persecution. And what this uh, summit is, is gathering those groups together to get to know each other, to start to work together, uh, to press for this at a grassroots level for fundamental religious freedom for everybody everywhere. We've got over 60 organizations that are participating in this summit. This will be the first time a, a civil society group like this has ever uh, pulled an event like this together. We did this at State Department of sorts during the ministerials. We had civil society groups come in, uh, but this is led by civil society groups. So we've got like U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, um, uh, part of it, Knights of Columbus, but uh, we've got also Samaritan's Purse and uh, uh, Orthodox Community, American Hindu Association. Uh, we've got Jewish groups. We've got World Uyghur Congress. Uh, we've got religious groups from all different types of factions coming together, getting to know each other. We won't talk theology. We will talk about human rights and this fundamental one that has been deteriorating. And the effort will be to unite together to press forward for uh, religious freedom for everybody around the world. For um, regular listeners to this show, you guys will recognize some of the folks involved in this, the Philos Project, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, um, uh, IDF, the IRD, the Institute for Religion and Democracy, the Heritage um, Foundation, Samaritan's Purse, which Sam already mentioned, but you also recognize Open Doors and GAFCON and Voice of the Martyrs. So these are organizations that we platform on a regular basis here um, on Mornings with Carmen. These are conversations we have on a regular basis. And I want to encourage you, if this is of interest to you, this is an, uh, it's a very unique opportunity to be invited to the table, to be invited into the conversation that's happening here in the United States of America, but is impacting the conversation that is happening globally um, related to the 80 percent of people who live around the world um, in very real persecution. And, uh, and so, again, we want to invite you to check it out, Summit. Dot com. Sam, I always think that stories are really, really helpful. Um, and when you think about, uh, you know, your hope for expectations of a an international religious freedom summit, you're talking about religious freedom for everybody, everywhere, all the time. Um, that's your your hope and your vision. Maybe draw us into that, you know, by helping us see what's happening in Saudi Arabia or to the Rohingya or to Tibetan Buddhists? I mean, take us somewhere so that we can see what you have seen. You know, I, had, I met with a man uh, uh, from Saudi Arabia who had had a vision uh, in the night, a very dedicated um, uh, Muslim. And in the vision in the middle of the night, he sees a man in white in his room. And he thinks it's Joseph. Because uh, in his understanding, Joseph is this perfect looking person. And this person looked perfect. And the person just said to him, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. Uh, and he, he doesn't know what to do with that. Uh, but he's, I, he's searching now. What uh, I need to do some of this. He, he goes to a church in Kuwait because there's no churches in uh, Saudi Arabia. It's the only country in the world, no churches. Uh, and he sees a picture of Jesus on the wall. And he says, that's him. That's the guy I saw. Who is it? Uh, what's his name? Uh, and uh, the, the person there told him who it was. And he said, this is what the person said to me. And he, he, he accepts Christ. Well, then his troubles really begin. He goes home 
this is not well received by the family. Uh, the government finds out about it. It's not well received by them. He spends six months in jail. Uh, the government tries to get the family to kill him uh, for dishonoring the family. Uh, and he eventually gets some uh, protection and relief. He obviously has difficulty with his family. And uh, and I'm meeting with him, and he goes back to Saudi Arabia even later. And I said, well, why do you go back? Why didn't you just stay outside? And he said, well, who's going to speak to the people of Saudi Arabia then? Uh, who's going to talk to them if I don't go back and tell them this is what I saw? This happened to me. And these are the t sort of people we... Uh, we stand up for and for people of all faiths uh, or even of no faith around the world that are persecuted uh, for decisions, peaceful decisions of their faith that they make. I, um, I know that you have met people whose stories are really hard to tell. And so um, for people who have already, you know, forgotten because it's not in the particular news cycle today, remind us what is happening to the Rohingya people. Uh. I, uh, well, I mean, this is graphic, but I was there and meeting uh, with a number of the Rohingya uh, refugees, and they're being pressed out of uh, Burma, which is primarily Buddhist because they're Muslims, mo mostly because they're Muslims. Uh, and I met with a woman who witnessed her daughter being raped uh, and then bayoneted in her private parts and killed. Um, and that that happens to people, and it's just it's violent and it's vulgar and it's evil. Uh, they're continued. The Rohingya continue to be pushed out of Burma. They're in refugee camps uh, in Bangladesh. Uh, they're not allowed back into their country on a peaceful basis. Some some say you know that they're allowed back in, but they can't sustain themselves. Uh, and the We've just got to continue to stand up and to speak out. Again, it's one of those, what I think is a genocidal situation that's built around the issue of a religious minority. The same for the Uyghurs in China or a Muslim minority being pushed out by the Chinese government that's atheistic and, and a war with faith. Uh, the same as what happened in northern Iraq with the, uh, the Yazidis and the Christians being driven out by ISIS. The same as what happened to the Jewish people uh, in World War II, and and now you're seeing some flaring of anti-Semitism again. This is happening to all faiths in different places around the world. So I happen to live in a part of the country where um, we have a very, very large Egyptian Coptic community, and we have a very, very large Yazidi community because these people have come through refugee resettlement into the United States. Uh, there is there at that point a connection between what happens um, at the level of international religious freedom and what happens in terms of refugee resettlement here in the United States. And so I do think that there's a there's a point of connection to the conversations, even though I recognize that in terms of international religious freedom, we are talking about a, a focus on what's happening around the globe. But it does impact our conversations here when we become a people who are open to receiving those refugees? It does. Uh, and I've met with a number of refugees in this country, and, and God bless the United States for receiving people. Uh, our effort, though, in this office and in this push, is that they shouldn't have to immigrate to Canada, the United States, or Europe to practice their religious freedom. They ought to be Amen. able to do that at home. 
and that's what we're pushing and standing up for because mo there are very few people, honestly, that are able to uh, to move out as refugees. That's a you, that's a golden card if you can get refugee status. Most people just really have to live and bear it, uh, and and live in very harsh, difficult circumstances in their home countries. Um, thank you for continuing to stand um, on the front line of this uh, and be a person not only who is concerned about it, but genuinely advocating for it with, you know, not just passion, but, um, you know, the you're pressing the full force of your life into this concern. And Sam, we as fellow believers genuinely appreciate that. Thank you for the invitation that you are extending to everyone to join you at the International Religious Freedom Summit this summer in Washington, D.C. I want you guys to check it out, irfsummit.com. Sam, can we pray for you before you go today? Yes, please. Father, we thank you for our brother Sam, your son, and we thank you for um, the, the passion you have set within his heart. We thank you for the network of relationships you have given him. We thank you for the work that you have called him into on behalf of people everywhere. Um, We ask, Father, that this first freedom, the freedom to believe, um, would be a freedom that would be extended to more and more people, everyone, everywhere, all the time. And, Father, we ask that you would bless those who are advocating um, for international religious freedom around the globe. And we thank you um, for the freedom to do that here in the United States of America. So bless Sam as he continues to advocate and lead this work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you so much. Appreciate it. All right, friends, that's Sam Brownback. You can um, certainly find him on all the socials. The easiest place to find him right now is at irfsummit.com. We'll be right back. Well, 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 it's Friday. Um, So that means we are taking a look at the Weekend Worldview Reader with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. Um, we're we're going to talk about a number of not only headlines, but also um, things going on, like what Dan's reading, what he's listening to, and a really interesting article that we have both read about the self and identity. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I've heard it many times. A frazzled mom in a public place with a toddler, yelling warnings left and right. You can hear her two aisles down in the grocery store shouting, if you don't get over here, I'm leaving without you. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm pretty sure that mom wouldn't leave her three-year-old in aisle six of the supermarket, but we've all done what she did. We bark out warnings without any intention of following through. I've met a lot of parents who put off consequences in favor of idle threats. But I've also found that it breeds chaos in their home. If that's something you want to steer clear of, be sure to decide rules and consequences before the frustrating public scene happens. Then stick to your guns. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at parentingtodaysteens.org. is not today at Cedarville University. He is sitting in his car in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. 
Okay, he's sitting in his car because not because his friends won't let him in, but because it's a nice, quiet room in which we can have a conversation. Dan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much, Carmen. I'm in your state. It's like I'm in your backyard, kind of. You are. You are. You are kind of in my... <laughs> you're in a really pretty part of the backyard. Um, That's yeah. true. So, oh, I, I'm thrilled. It's summertime. You're on the road. That's really, really fun. Um, life in the wild... Maybe one of the first conversations that you and I had on air was about this book that you um, that you have written, Life in the Wild. It was a number of years ago. Um, I actually, for whatever reason, I call it to mind in the context of my cousin Jennifer, who is a Cedarville graduate, being here um, during a furlough. She lives in um, in Togo, West Africa, is a full time in full time mission service there, and uh, and for whatever reason, I remember that book coming out during that time because I remember she and I talking about it. So you and I are talking about um, life in the wild today because of um, some of the things that you say in there related to Hebrews chapter 11. So tell, tell us, yeah. re, tell me why we're talking about this today. Well, um, I, I put a couple comments on Twitter about Hebrews 11 and it's, I, I'm reading through the, through Genesis again right now and was made a comment about, you know, when you read the stories about the patriarchs, these great heroes of the faith, many of whom make it into Hebrews 11, when you actually read their backstory, you're reminded that they're they're not as great as we always think. And I was surprised by some of the pushback I got from a few people that were, you know, on the one hand, you have people who kind of want to completely sterilize um, and sanitize the um, these accounts to where we just focus on their great acts of faith and ignore all of that. Um, and then other people who might you know, I've not really encountered this, but there could be people who want to discount them completely. You know, we shouldn't have them in Hebrews 11 because they did this or that. And the reality is the Bible presents both their failures and their successes together. Um, and so we need to recognize that. We need to learn from that. And in Hebrews 11, you have all these people who most of whom finished poorly. You know, it's a, it's the minority in that list that finished strong. And it leads us to Hebrews 12, which says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And so it's a reminder that Hebrews 11 doesn't teach us to put people on pedestals, but rather to recognize their flaws and their successes and to lead that to get us to evaluate our own sin, you know, cast off the sin that so easily besets you and fix your eyes on Jesus. So that's, I wrote that because we are constantly reminded every single week when we look in the headlines or even in the mirror that we're imperfect. And it's Jesus we need to, to focus on. So for those who have not um, read it recently, Hebrews 11 really talks about um, the faith of, of people whose names we know from the Old Testament. Um, and there's this celebration of their faith. So by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life and did not experience death. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. Um, the list goes on, uh, on and on and on. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. Um, we talk about these um, these people as sometimes as if they are flat. Moses might be the easiest one for us to like recognize. Like he's a he's a really well developed character. Like we really get to know him um, over <laughs> over the course of his life. He is not an uncomplicated character. And so, you know, we can point we can point to people who uh, in Scripture who are celebrated for their faith. 
but who are imperfect people nonetheless. Um, and then we arrive at Hebrews chapter 12, you know, where we, you know, we recognize we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, um, but they're not ultimately the people upon whom we're fixing uh, our eyes or our faith. They are not the perfectors of our faith. Jesus is. And so I just really um, appreciated that folks can go right now to theolate.com. Um, that's Dan DeWitt's website. Mortal Heroes and Fallen Leaders is the article that is posted there where you can read um, you can read more about this conversation, not only about the people of faith who we do, whom we do celebrate, but we recognize they're not perfect. Um, but Jesus is then, Dan, as you say, our better way. So you want to talk a little bit about Jesus being our better way? Oh, man. I, you know, I like to think of Hebrews 11 as a kind of like a mudroom. You know, at our house, we have a, a mudroom in the back and you're not it's, you're not supposed to live there. And I don't think the point of Hebrews 11 is to say that this needs to be where you need to park. You know, but it's leading us in this argument towards what's a theme in Hebrews which is Jesus is our better priest. Jesus is our better mediator. Jesus is our better sacrifice. And then we get to Hebrews 12 and we see Jesus is actually our better hero. And I, I don't want to say that in kind of a, you know, um, stain, um, rose-colored glasses kind of outlook. This is a way to deal with fallenness in our own leaders and in our own lives to remember we need to be thankful for how God used them. We can't completely discount David, right? the Bible doesn't, be thankful for how God used them, but at the same time, evaluate our own lives and cast off the weight that's holding us back, the sin that besets us, and fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the better way, and he's where we find hope and forgiveness for the failures of others and our own failures. Thank God he forgives us. Yeah, amen. Um, So to read this full article, uh, we invite you to visit theolatte.com. Dan actually has um, a number of articles posted related to his book, Life in the Wild, Fighting for Faith in a Fallen World. And and somewhere um, back in the podcast uh, list, you would actually find the initial conversation that Dan DeWitt and Carmen LaBerge had about Life in the Wild a number of years ago. Um, Dan, let's um, let's take a super brief break. When we come back, I want to dig into uh, another piece that you have posted as a link in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader and that's this um, this conversation about self and identity. Could we do that? Absolutely. All right. When we come back, uh, Dan DeWitt and I are gonna um, gonna talk about secular philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it's worthy. It's worthy of our time and attention. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Why do you think you are who you think you are? And does that really matter? All right. That's up next. Your morning with Carmen. Who am I? That the eyes that see my sin would look on me. All right, Dan DeWitt and I are now about to talk about uh, an essay that is written by Sam Dresser, and it is really um, a reach into uh, a book by Kathleen Wallace, who's a professor of philosophy at Hofstra University. Um, Her book is The Network Self, Relation, Process, and Personal Identity. So the lead question here is, who am I? But the article is actually entitled, You Are a Network. You cannot be reduced to a body, a mind, or a particular social role. An emerging theory of selfhood gets this complexity. Um, Dan, what is this conversation about uh, secular? This is really a secular philosophy conversation, but it does get at some truth. 
Yeah, you know, one of the things I, I think is interesting to look at over and over again, and we come back to a lot of these conversations, which I think is helpful to constantly highlight the real value of the Christian way of understanding the self, and that is to look at secular models of making sense of the human experience. What does it feel like to be a person, to be alive? And there are some views of the self that would reduce us entirely to our body. Um, and, you know, so then the question would be, well, if you um, are an amputee and you lose a limb, are you less of a person now? Have you lost some of your identity if you're reduced to a body? Um, there are some people who will say that identity is tied to your memory, um, to your collection of the sum total of your lived experience. But what if you lose your memory? Are you less of a person? And so this article is, again, from a secular standpoint, asking the question, well, what role does the community have in it, the relationships I have? And we know, and this is where it's helpful, that we do shape each other. And of course, the Bible illustrates that in its narrative. It warns us about it in its prescriptive passages. So it's a reality. We shape one another. Now, as Christians, we don't believe that that's where our essence lies, right? But we, it's a helpful article in reminding us that that is a part of who we are and how our character is formed. Dan, I think that, you know, when you when you reduce it down to that nugget, which I think is really, really helpful, like right, there are philosophies out there, understandings of the self that do reduce us to the physical body. People yeah. who are confused about the relationship they have with their physical body, um, that is fodder for a lot of conversation today. But there's just as much confusion um, when we talk about the relationship that a person um, has in their social relationships or in their sense of identity, not just related to um, to their body, but maybe their their race. Like it, it's a there are challenging conversations going on in the culture that Christianity does actually have not just substantive answers to, but answers that make sense as an integrated whole. So when we talk about uh, Christianity as a way of, uh, well, I don't even know, do we talk about it as a philosophy out of which we understand everything? Is that one of the conversations we could have? Yeah, <clears throat> I, I think it was Chesterton who said, G.K. Chesterton, who said something to the effect that speaking of the truths of Christianity may be speaking about doctrine or anything else, <laughs> because mm. um, to quote another inkling, Dorothy Sayers said that Christianity is first and foremost a um, description of reality. <laughs> we believe these things are true, that they're true about the world and about God and about us. And so I do think that Christianity is a philosophy of life, of the world and of the self. And the Christian view of the self stands in stark contrast to all of these secular theories, because we fundamentally believe that as humans, that we have intrinsic worth and that we have a design and a purpose. And so the Christian view is that the, the notion of self, and that doesn't mean there's not a lot of confusing things to deal with, but we begin with the premise that God exists, that he has revealed himself in a way that we can know him and know something about ourselves, and that he has a design for us. And so that, that means we, we aren't just a blank slate that we get to decide whatever we want about us. And so that is fundamental. That's a huge deal about identity that's very different from these secular theories. So what a Christian does is not create their identity, but rather we seek to 
um, discover our identity and what God has revealed about us. Yeah, and so when the question is asked in this article and actually in this book about self-identity and self and its history, I couldn't help but think about Carl Truman's um, uh, new book um, on on just that conversation, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, um, that we are in the conversations we are in uh, individually and as a culture um, because the understanding of the self has really dramatically changed over time. Yeah, and again, the the further we get from a revealed religion, which simply means that we could know something about our purpose because God's revealed it to us in a very similar way to if you buy a, a bicycle for your kids and you want to put it together on Christmas Eve, the instructions at some point, hopefully early on, are going to be really helpful. Is there a design? And in a revealed religion, we answer that by saying, yes, there is a design. Um and we we can understand that design if God exists and is communicating himself by studying his revelation. Now, the further you get from that, and that's what I think Truman's highlighting our you know particular cultural moment, the further you get from a revealed religion in which God has let us know what our design is, the further you get from that, the more confused we will be. Now, articles like this are helpful because they do remind us that we are influenced by people around us. Um, however, that doesn't leave us with a whole lot of answers. It, it does um, kind of lift the hood on the complexity of human relationships. But if we really want to understand who we are, we have to come back to Psalm 8, uh, what I've said before uh, on the program, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. That's the first verse and the last verse of Psalm 8. And in the middle, it asks the question, what is man? We only understand the answer to that question in the context of a God who has revealed himself. There are um, there are just endless opportunities to engage in Christian worldview conversations if we're willing to not just read widely, but when we read or when we observe things happening in the culture, you know, we're we're willing to say um, or we're willing to ask, how does that line up with what I know to be true um, yeah. from what God has said about everything and about me? And I do think that's the pause that Christians must we we have to hit that pause in i mean you know you know frankly when we're walking around in our own cities and we see something chiseled in um uh chiseled in granite that we actually know is contrary to the truth revealed in the bible like you know this you know uh, you you're standing upon a graveyard that's a billion years old or something and you're just like hmm let me let me pause there and let me see if i can line that up with what i know to be true from scripture um, and so, Dan, invite people into like a summer experience of having their having their minds and their hearts wide open to all of the conversations that God might present simply as we listen to music, watch movies, walk around in uh, in other communities where we don't live. Like invite people into the Christian worldview exercise this summer. Yeah. Well, I would say to, to use maybe two C words on one, be curious. You know, I think that people who are, I think of the Apostle Paul walking around Athens, reading the monuments there, um, a curiosity about others, about why they believe what they believe, not just what they say in an article like this, but to ask the question, why would um, someone find this theory compelling? And be so be curious about others, be curious about a movie you would watch or a music, music that you might listen to. What are they trying to convey? 
what are the kind of life experiences that they may have had that have made them think about the world this way? So that's the first C word. I often tell Christians, if you're curious um, about others, you're going to have so much more success in evangelism because people want to explain why they believe what they believe, what they think. On the other hand, also be another C word, be critical. Just And I don't mean but like be a jerk. We have enough people who act like that um, in the name of Jesus. So don't do that. Don't be a jerk. But think critically. So ask the question, not only be curious, but ask the question, what are the the ways of making sense of reality that are behind these questions and behind these answers. So be curious and be critical. And I think that the outcome of that will will be that you'll you'll see be reminded of the beauty of the Christian philosophy, the Christian view of the world, to make sense of these big questions every person's asking. Oh, it's just so so great. And you know, we do all of that in community. Um, which does kind of circle back around to this observation that we are a network of relationships, but that network of relationships finds its beginning, its end, and its meaning um, in God, um, who is, you know, ultimately relational as well. So um, tons of great stuff posted this week uh, on the Weekend Worldview Reader, which you can find at Dan's website, theolatte.com. Dan DeWitt, have a great time in Gatlinburg today. Thanks so, so much, Carmen. Take care. Blessings. We'll be right back. Okay, uh, let's see. What else? What other note do I have here to share before the end of the hour? The Atlantic hurricane season officially begins, um, I don't know, like in 10 days. Uh, And so they've already issued the forecast. NOAA says, not NOAA like NOAA and the Ark, but NOAA like the um, oceanic, uh, you know, those guys. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. There you go. Thank you. I knew you would know. (laughs) That NOAA has predicted another active and potentially catastrophic season. Um, Here's what I know. Summer is heating up. And so as temperatures rise, let us not be people who allow our tempers to rise as well. So sometimes um, tempers rise as temperatures rise. Let's not be those people. Let's be the people um, who demonstrate the ability to remain calm, even in the midst of the storms of this life. So today, as the world presses in upon you in various and sundry ways, Uh, Be a person who is so filled with the grace and truth of who God is that what comes out isn't, you know, the hotted or heated temper or the catastrophic storm, but really the peace which passes all understanding. Let's demonstrate that we are the people who know how to be content in all circumstances. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.